going back to bed. No, no, there's a scary man. What scary man? Welcome, everybody, to the Real Thrills Podcast. As always, I am Jay, here with Eric on this Sunday afternoon. Great weather we're having now. It's a beaut. Yeah, so a little background on today's episode. We uh, had a special event at Eric's house, which he hosted with the PCB boys. Shout out. (laughs) Shout out. Yeah, shout out for sure. Uh, So they came out from Pittsfield, right? And uh, a whole caravan of them, and that was awesome. Or not really caravan. They all carpooled over here, and uh, it was Friday the 13th, so here we are. We're going to do the Real Thrills podcast on Fri- on the movies we saw that night, Friday the 13th, part six and part eight. And Eric, why, why did we choose those ones? So for Friday the 13th, um, I've definitely celebrated the last few years, um, every chance I get, having some... Uh, some friends over, uh, usually we'll eat lots of candy and eat lots of um, Mexican food or, this in this situation, pizza, and uh, watch some film from the franchise. Um, it's not always Friday the 13th, but we always at least watch one film from Friday the 13th. Um, I think we watched, like, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 um, last time. But anyway, point being that this is kind of fun. Um I think a lot of us grew up on horror movies, and so getting together, having a little bit of a, you know, a reason to gather because it's Friday the Thirteenth, and then just watching lots of great, you know, '80s and '90s horror movies that we remember from being kids. So this was um, the first one we've done um, since COVID struck, because uh, oddly enough, COVID hit on March thirteenth is when they started putting travel bans in place last year. March 13th happens to be my birthday. So it was a Friday the 13th. Super excited to have a gathering. And unfortunately, we had to cancel it um, due to uh, an abundance of caution. And so this was the first one we've been able to get back together since then. So um, it was great to have the same crew over, eat some food, watch some movies. And we watched part six and part eight because these are two of the films that we haven't watched as a group. So that was kind of the key piece. But also, I think sort of the likability factor of these films. Um, we started with six and then did eight next because I think all things considered, six is probably one of the fan favorites um, in the in the franchise. And part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, is probably on the lower spectrum in terms of... Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of contrast in these uh, movies through the genre of Friday the 13th. Um, some of the OGs from the seventies, you know, um, when the first, when did it first come out? 78, 79? Um, eight, I think 80 was the 80. Okay. The, yeah. So it started in the eighties and how it started was a great story. Part one. We don't really have to get into it too much, but it was totally different from what we just saw in six and eight. Obviously Definitely. you're, you're, you're six at, six movies in and Hollywood's getting involved, glitz and glamour, uh, more death count, whatever it may be. They're, they're throwing more Jason, more Jason. That's, that's what the people want. And totally. 
And that's what we got. And six was a good depiction of, oh, this is how it is done well, because he's still at the lake. And then eight takes a whole different contrast. Uh, and and even is a bait and switch, as you mentioned in our pre-show notes, yeah. of just how, hey, it's in Manhattan. Uh, not really, yeah, it's right? not really in Manhattan. No. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that, all that. So we're going to try to follow our segments as we try to do. We have them all out in front of us. I didn't take any notes because I was just a spectator of this great event on, <laughs> on, on Friday the 13th. Uh, it was my first event. And and let me tell you, all your listeners, it was a lot of fun. I mean, here we are uh, right on the table here. There, there's a, a, a uh, fake chainsaw that we had out. We got a hand coming out of a uh, what looks Massive to be- Massive bowl of <laughs> Massive bowl of like Halloween candy, pretty much, and uh, yeah, we we got pizza, we got wings, uh, we had adult beverages galore, and uh, a lot of good guys just talking movies. Which I liked the narrative of the guys just sitting around, like you're at a movie theater because horror is very good for that. Where you want to be in the theater because you want to hear what the guy behind you is commenting because it's funny, like. What people when people get scared, they want to deject that with humor, and that's what our show is really all about. To say it's not just all scary; it can be terrifying, as the terrifier was. Yep. Uh, our last podcast, but uh, it's also we try to bring the fun out of it, the funny. And when you're sitting with a bunch of guys watching a horror movie, we're not scared; we're just bashing it left and right and yeah. having a lot of fun with it. So, that, and that's kind of what this pod's all about. Just me and you, we're, we're, we're have a love for it and, and, uh, movies, horror movies in general, but you have a big affinity to Friday the 13th anyway. So I'm going to relay a lot on, on Eric. This is kind of Eric's show here. Uh, I, I'm here as a support and I, I, I love the genre myself, but, uh, Eric's got some detail on this cause this is your, this is your wheelhouse, right? Friday the 13th. Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up, Friday the 13th was always my favorite franchise. Um, I will say that I think um, specifically, I think when Kane Hodder took over um, as Jason, I think were the movies I most remember as a kid. I think, again, because I think they came out around that time, you know, 88, 89, mm-hmm. and then kind of beyond that, I think when they finally did uh, Jason Goes to Hell was like 93 or something. There was kind of a big gap there. Um, but I think that's like when I was watching them pretty regularly. And so I always kind of remembered Jason as being Kane Hodder. Um, going back and rewatching the movies in the franchise over the last, you know, decade or so um, or even more, has been kind of interesting to see the different ways that Jason evolves. And I think that's really the key point about, I think, why Six was this great fan favorite and why I think it really reinvigorated the franchise after the dud, 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 dud of uh, Part 5. Where we didn't have Jason at all, we had Roy Burns pretending to be Jason, and that movie was, uh, it it tried to do, I think, what part six did really well, which is make it a little bit funny, and I don't think they did it as well, and I thought the movie just, um, you know, there there there's definitely some parts in there that I enjoy, but this was a great comeback for the franchise. And I think that's why it's pretty, uh, pretty key for us to talk about it from, from this movie on. Um, we'll definitely go back and, and go over the final chapter and part three. And, you know, we're going to go over a lot of the films um, in general, but I think this is a good place to start for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and what I always remembered about six. So growing up a little background in my 
Inception to Friday the 13th. Uh, my name's Jason, so naturally I'm like, Jason Voorhees was my was was my homeboy. Right. Like I, I, everyone kind of attributed that, especially in the '80s when I was a kid. And not that I was a psychotic killer, but just oh, Jason, like Jason <laughs> Voorhees, like you know, like that was that was how pop culture he kind of was. Yeah. In a sense, to at the time, that's my name. Only you don't think of Jason of the uh, Argonauts. <laughs> which is really where the name actually comes from in the Greek mythology. It's actually Jason Voorhees is really when I was a kid in the 80s, like, no, 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 that's that's who you're named after, right? And I'm like, no, 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 not. not yeah, not I mean, really. if you're Freddie, like, I think more people probably attributed to Robert England than Freddie Mercury even, you know, like <laughs> yeah. in some of those times. So, But I think what's interesting is that such an icon of pop culture, but only in the form of being a figure, you know, like, again, Freddie had shows and albums and different things that came out because he was a charismatic talker. Mm -hmm. um, Jason is just a dark, brooding, silent character. And I think that's what makes him so special is that there's so much mystery there. And there's not a lot of showmanship. It's just, I'm out for blood and I'm going to get it. Yeah, I think what was always unique about Jason in my eyes was his 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 kill count. You, you sent out a, on the Real Thrills, uh, podcast Instagram feed. You kind of sent out that death count and how he's 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 the number one, right? Yeah. He, well, I guess it's unfair because he had the most movies. So technically, like per movie, I think Michael Myers has killed more. But the fact that it's lasted so many movies, and again, every franchise is going to have a couple duds in there. I think for the most part, if you just watch these movies straight through. I think they're good. I mean, there's not a lot you're going to be disappointed by, I think, because there's always something that comes out after. I think with the exception of maybe Jason Takes Manhattan going into Jason Goes to Hell. But I think the comeback of Jason X and Jason vs. Freddy were, I, I think, like, you don't you don't think that the franchise jumped the shark, you know, because I think because they came back with with two in my opinion great films even though there was a kind of a, like a little bit of a slow piece um in there feels like it ended on a good note you know and then the remake in 2009 i think it was 2009 pretty sure it's 2009 um again new jason um but they did a great job of sort of like maybe finding the balance between part two and part three and it was super like cringy 2000s humor but perfect perfect yeah. for the genre i i think i own that one i i, I think i really enjoyed the remake of friday the 13th yeah, i think i even saw it in a theater it was it was at that time where you were itching for it i mean a, a bunch of us now are older in our 30s 40s maybe older and we now have the money to go throw it at this at a at a, at a movie theater like back in the eighties, I wasn't doing that. I was waiting for it to come on, you know, cassette or VHS, and so that I can rent it from Blockbuster or your yeah. local store. And that's the only way I saw it. So what was nice, and and for whatever reason, I always remember too. Six was always very hard to get your hands on. I don't know why. I always saw you know one through eight, but six was maybe this speaks well onto what you're saying. It was always rented. Like I don't know why I was never able to see six until a lot later. Yeah, I liked four a lot too. And is that four? Is that Tommy Jar? Is that 
Yeah, so that's uh, that's that's Baby Jarvis played by Corey Feldman. So four was one of my favorites, and then that's why I liked six a lot more. Like you said, you're jumping five, which I owned. So that's kind of like the movie that I remember. Five and seven, we had yeah. that on 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 VHS, and we recorded it off HBO or whatever. Yep. So I own those, so I know those movies very well, and that's just what I thought. Like all of them were like, but then I started going back and watching them, especially as an older person. And I'm like, whoa, these are totally like the story's all over the place. It's kind of different, yeah. different directing, different people doing different things with, you know, Jason's character. Uh, Liberty's all over the place. But at the same time, what was always unique about Jason, what the catch all for Jason is the uniqueness of what he would use for, for his deaths. Yeah. He was very creative, resourceful. Something was around. He'd grab Super it. talented. He's like a, a Olympian archer. Archer, like <laughs> he, he he could throw an axe. Like if he was in an axe throwing competition, you're screwed. Yep. Like anything outdoorsy, like uh, what is the lumberjack uh, games that they have? He would just crush because he knew all these things. I'm like, how the hell do you know all these things? <laughs> yeah, again, I think what makes him he's not. A, I think he he he's very much a goofier character in the previous. Again. The the big the big difference here is that part six we've got a supernatural being. Now you could argue that to some degree, like this dude takes an axe to the head and is still alive in part four, uh, or no, he dies in part four. Never mind. So, but he takes he takes other beatings that probably should kill him. But he's sort of like this big, oafy kind of ogre character that kind of runs around, and it's a little bit more comical in terms of the way he's chasing people around to part six, where he's now awakened and uh reanimated through lightning and now he's this supernatural being that you just can't fuck with you can yeah. shoot him you can do whatever you want but guess what he's still there right so for all you people if you close your eyes you picture jason Voorhees, you're picturing part six yeah most likely you're not picturing one was the mom spoiler alert number two he wore a sack on his head with a hole cut out pretty much the whole time. Yeah, right? we had suspenders and a flannel, so you right. probably are not remembering that. <laughs> yeah, he's like Hillbilly John, just, you know, or Hillbilly Jay out, out in the countryside killing people at the lake. Uh, three? Three, he gets his hockey mask. That's when he finally gets the hockey mask. And where did he get that from? He like, got it from Shelly. So Shelly is uh, kind of the dorky, chubby character who right. hides his insecurities with humor. Franklin. And, yeah, he's basically a Franklin. But he tries to scare this girl in this um like Aquaman kind of suit and he puts on this hockey mask that after Jason kills him, takes his hockey mask. Three, and Kevin Bacon in three? Born. Kevin Bacon was in two. Two. Okay. Yep. Uh we'll 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 circle back to that eventually in our pod. But we'll get to all these in a deep more deep dive, more regimented notes section. But we're just l- literally looking at this franchise from thirty thousand feet. Eric yeah. knows a lot about it. So we're we're deferring to him a lot. But uh so all right, so that takes us to four Four, very much similar to, to part three. It's same outfit. Um, pretty much it's, it's like an extension of three. Right. Then he gets but axed. It's, it's, it is a different Jason. But different, he dies. Right. In, in, in he dies. Everyone's cool. Then five comes out. Now we're totally a separate person, right? Yeah. Number five is that we, we, start, we see a, an adult Tommy Jarvis after he's killed Jason and he went full... 
um, Jean-Claude Van Damme on his ass. Yeah. Um, and now he is at a halfway house, like almost like a mental asylum kind of place, but it's like in the countryside. And he goes there um, because he lost his family. He's kind of this fucked up teenager. Oh, this, he's got tons of anger. The Sue Award. Yeah, he's he's got tons and tons of anger, and they're they basically try to portray him as like he, he's going to become Jason at the end of this film. But it turns out that the person that is killing everybody dressed as Jason is this ambulance driver named Roy Burns, who. His son gets murdered in the beginning. His son is actually at Pinehurst, the place that Tommy Jarvis is going. His son gets gets killed with an axe by this kind of um, you know delinquent that's there who kills him over a chocolate bar. Right. And so apparently Roy Burns seeks revenge on all the kids and people that are at Pinehurst by pretending to be Jason Voorhees. And he's, again, like this kind of like tall, slender man who fits more in line with the Jason's part, you know, two through through four. And so I think the build made sense and you could believe it, but he's wearing, he's got like overalls similar to, or not, not over a cover, are they coveralls? Like a, kind of like a a mechanic suit, like, like similar to Michael Myers. Overalls, yeah. Um, Yeah. But he's got the blue stripes on the mask is a different mask. And so you you get a very different look of Jason. And again, turns out it's not Jason. And they try to like make Tommy Jarvis more of an antagonist at the end where he's like, he's he's Jason. And I think they were going to go that direction. And then I think it got such poor reviews that that's why they re, rebirthed Six in a very different way. They got a new Tommy Jarvis because the guy who initially played Tommy Jarvis in part five, I guess, is like a born again Christian or something and decided that he did not want to be in this movie. Interesting. But yeah. thank God, because Tom Matthews, who plays Tommy Jarvis in this, does a fantastic job. And to me, that's Tommy Jarvis. Like, yes. I, don't, I don't think Corey Feldman, I don't think this other guy, I'm thinking Tom Matthews is my Tommy Jarvis. And... um Kind of an interesting thing is that the year before they filmed part six, so six came out in 86, is that Tom Matthews actually played a character named Freddy in Return of the Living Dead. Huh. So I think this film is very reminiscent of Return of the Living Dead. It's like a lot of 80s hair metal. It's this like group of kids that's like, you know, um, they, they kind of look like a again, like your typical mod squad kind of, kind of group. And it's a little bit sarcastic. It's a little bit tongue in cheek. And it, I think, doesn't take itself too seriously, which I think a lot of the films before that kind of did. So six, I think, again, um, great job. And I, I think what I read is that Part of what the success of Six was is that um, so Kel- Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream, attributed a lot of writing Scream and sort of that really like behind the f- you know the fourth wall, uh, breaking the fourth wall, and um, being really self-aware as a horror movie. A lot of the inspiration of Scream came from Part Six. So, super yeah. interesting fact. And if you do watch Six, and the, the one thing that does jump out to me is some of the dialogue. And some of the way the script was written, a lot of comedy. Yeah, so 
I laughed a lot. I guess throughout this. Oh, uh, totally. It, it was not just because we're, we're with a bunch of group of guys that are cracking jokes anyway, but some of this dialogue was so cheesy. And like you mentioned, there was a lot of like, no, 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 we are trying to be funny. Like this is funny. So it took it didn't take itself too seriously too. And what I, I think it's what I love about horror in general is that. So a lot of people don't like to watch horror movies because like maybe they're home alone. They don't like that some of this could be real. Now they're afraid of dolls because of Chucky or they're afraid of, you know, they've got different fears because of whatever. You know, I think the paranormal activity or or the ring definitely created some phobias in some people. But I think what's great about this style of horror movie is that you can watch it with a big group of people, like whether it's the theater or you watch it with some friends. And it's just a great watch because, the yeah, the crowd energy and the way that other people are reacting to it is really kind of what makes films like this great. Um, so I think in general, my group of friends and, um, you know, our previous escapades with, with getting together and watching things was always like wrestling, you know, like you'd watch like Royal Rumble or something or WrestleMania. And so horror has become kind of the new thing to watch as a group, which is awesome. Yeah, which plays well into our podcast, and here we are, obviously. So, um, so let's take a, just a direction here for the segment purposes. We are going to combine, but let's just synopsis. I think we did a lot with six already uh, now that we're here. So let's talk about six, and then we can jump into eight when we get to when we get to eight. We we can overlay as much as you want, so don't don't feel like there's a a, a huge uh, strict agenda here or segment oriented but at least let's start off with came out august 1st 1986 yep. now was this the first part of the genre that paramount picked up i mean that's kind of a major movie label for that time in the 80s i think it was on paramount until it switched over to new line i think with part nine which i makes, think which makes sense because that catapulted you as a as a fan to a different Different plateau. New line, right? It was the house that Freddie built. Well, so. people lost interest in in part eight, and I think it lost so much money that that's why they didn't make any more films until New Line picked them up four years later, and they did Jason Goes to Hell. But so 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 six three million dollar budget, and I think it was at nineteen million around eighteen yeah. nineteen million. So to me, that's that's super successful. I mean, that's a return on investment. You know, almost like six times over. And who who's like ever looking at a part six of anything saying, I can't wait to go see that. You know, especially after five was such a flop. I think they probably lost a lot of interest, but I think they did a good job of the trailer of the film. Um, and Which that, was awesome. Yeah. So start right there. The trailer was just a gravestone. It was raining, dark, ominous, rain coming down. You're just scanning a cemetery. You come up to Jason's gravestone, lightning hits it, just blows it up. Blows it up, casket opens, empty, or it appears to be empty. And and that's it, trailer over. So if you're watching, as if, you, if you're a fan of this genre, you're like, oh, I got to see what, what this yeah, is. Let's, right. let's go. Like, I'm, I'm take my money now. Because, again, you've forgotten about Jason because there hasn't been a Jason since he died in part four because he wasn't there in part five. So you're like... Okay, this is what we want to see. Like, this is the movie we wanted to see part five be, but part five was not that film. So I think it definitely had a lot of uh, interest because of that. And 
Um, I don't know how much like they did for marketing, but Jason Lives, it came back again to like a very dark look and um, the filming on it was great. And again, we saw a very different look for Jason because we've got now um, gloves instead of bare hands, um, similar outfit, like the, you know, kind of the forest green, you know, dicky shirt and the, you know, like silver khakis or whatever but we've got like a utility belt on him now and the mask is a little bit differently shaped so like a lot of like small bits and pieces that you still are remembering that it's jason but in a way that is a little bit more badass you still have the the axe kind of making him a little unit you know utilitarian yeah. <laughs> like he's he's becoming this like wherewithal out there in the woods but he's been dead uh so let's kind of cross over uh, you know with a little bit of segment and synopsis because it's kind of the same thing yeah the, when you describe the synopsis because you can only it's the first five minutes of the film there it is like the rest is is like any other friday the 13th but the yep. synopsis here was tommy jarvis had a bug up his ass to go visit his grave in forest Glen. Now they they remade they renamed the uh, Camp Crystal Lake or Crystal Lake. Yeah, Camp Forest Green is Forest the, Green. Yeah. Okay, so they they renamed it to not scare the people. So I thought that was written very well, right? So that's later in the movie. But here, Tommy Jarvis is with um, what's the dude crack crack out Horshack Horshack. That's his name. <laughs> yeah, so Horshack from uh, Welcome Back, Mister Cotter. Uh, was Ron uh, Palillo. Yeah, that's that's his buddy, which which was great because right away you're just like that guy, you know, <laughs> like what, what's this guy doing? So he's uh, Hawes. Yeah. So they're him and his buddy. They're going out to this grave, and uh, Tommy Jarvis just wants to take care of him, right? He wants to cremate him. So he's buried. He's still having nightmares. He doesn't feel like it's over. So what better way to um, put the last nail in the coffin, so to speak, but by dumping gasoline and just burning the some bitch up right yeah that's that was his intent but instead he takes a rod and it's pouring rain and shoves it through his heart yeah or whatever there whatever's there <laughs> yep um but decides to bring his hockey mask with him so tommy brings jason's mask he s- digs up his grave that he's terrified of stakes him through the heart and then what happens? Karma kicks in. Jason's mother's looking overhead and decides to boom, bolt of lightning, and basically um, reanimates Jason through this bolt of lightning yeah. and the conductor of this, you know, um, fence rod, yeah. fence rod that he pulled from the graveyard. Yeah. And, so boom, it he gets the uh, what? What's the uh, medical term? Oh, um, he got uh, defibrillated. <laughs> yeah, pretty much by uh, uh, one point twenty one gigawatts. gigawatts. <laughs> so instead of going back in time, he gets revived. So I think they're just kind of taken from one movie to another, and they're taking their liberties. Hey, if 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 Marty McFly can go back in time, <laughs> uh, we can bring Jason to life. And I think they were onto something because here we are. I mean, eighties, you can get away with anything, right? I, I didn't think it was a. I mean, out of the the million times that Jason has come back to life in the franchise, I don't think it's the worst one by any means. No, like I just mentioned, yeah, Marty <laughs> Marty went back in time with a bolt of lightning, or went back yeah. to the future. Yep, man. I, I yeah, he went conf- back to. Well, he went to the present. His real present. He was in 1955 <laughs> and went back to 85. This is why we're never gonna do Back to the Future on this podcast because 
we we don't have the mental capacity to understand that movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. There there is definitely message boards for that. <laughs> and a lot of conspiracy theories, I'm sure. But uh anyway, they they, they took this uh lightning bolt, Jason's now alive and there we're Puts off. the mask on and he immediately kills Hawes. Yep. Um very comical fashion. And I'm just gonna say it right now because we're gonna get into it anyway, is um, Hawes to me is the Franklin. <laughs> you think so? He well, he's being dragged along by Tommy. He still follows him anyway. He's complaining the whole time. He's scared. He's kind of like okay, you know. So there's not a lot of Franklins in this film. So for me, like this could be the Franklin. Um, uh, right. My my candidate was the the cop, the officer who just does not believe Tommy Jarvis and, and and just thinks it's him. And he's really trying to be like, I'm protecting this town. And, and I was like, you are completely in another movie, sir. Uh, this is really bad shit. And it's not him. It's actually Jason. You don't want to believe it. Cause yeah. why would he be alive? And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense officer. And that's where maybe you're not the smartest cop in the world here, buddy. And, uh, you were annoying me the whole movie. And then he met his demise in very awesome fashion, <laughs> which will get me to that. My favorite death scene. Uh, we'll circle back to that later. But, um, anyway, but I think he's uh, hilarious he's, though. In the film, like he talks so much shit to Jarvis that I don't, I don't get the Franklin vibe. Cause Franklin is, I, I think first and foremost, he's the wet blanket. So I feel like if Jarvis is hanging out with Hawes every day, yeah, like I think you're Hawes right. is definitely the wet blanket. It's like, no, Tommy, I can't go to <laughs> get a burger with you because I got to do this. You know, I, I feel like he's the wet blanket. So that's, okay. that makes sense. But I agree that you definitely want Garris, you know, Sheriff Garris to die because he didn't believe he, Tommy the whole movie, but yeah, and people are getting murdered left and right. But he's hilarious. I mean, what he said something like to Tommy where he said he's gonna, um, he he was gonna put his testicles on him like earrings or something. And I was like, oh man, yeah, more great. more a lot of good dialogue there. So, um, and part of that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll circle back to it in the uh, well, that was dumb segment. Obviously, Tommy Jarvis is the supreme candidate oh, for that totally. so if we wanted to name the that was dumb award i mean tommy jarvis is the tommy jarvis award right i mean yeah. <laughs> he's the guy to be the dumbest horror movie person character ever yeah it's like dude get over it it's been i don't even know like you he just goes, you just kicked off another five more season uh show uh, movies of this you know like because you brought him back the one time and now he's the supernatural being yeah you're an asshole, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, you end up being the hero at the end, but um, it's sort of like uh, a nurse, like intentionally harming a patient to help to only make them better. What's that? Misery. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like there. I can't think of the term for it, but it's basically like a real thing where people will like put someone in a cardiac arrest so they can save them and look like a hero. It's like this hero syndrome. Like that's basically what Tommy has. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so any, any other notes? We did the no, opening, the opening scene that covers the entire opening scene and synopsis at the same point. And you're like, holy shit. Oh, actually one funny thing about the beginning is that, so Tommy, after Jason comes up and kills Hawes, he dumps gasoline all over him. And then the moment he goes to light the match again, maybe this is Miss Voorhees kicking in. He goes to light a match. It just starts pouring rain. And it was hilarious. P 
hilarious. <laughs> Again, that was dumb, right? I mean, th- this movie, I, I don't think we have enough time to just say that was dumb. This is yeah. literally why we came up with this segment, probably, because yep. <laughs> you're just like, holy crap, stop screwing up, you know? Like, don't run in that direction, run over there. And it's funny because it's so obvious that, again, I think it's how self-aware the film is. is It's like, look, we don't need to try to make these people really, like, smart and creative. Like, we can just show they do dumb things, and that's fine, because that's horror. We don't need to try to make it seem like, oh, they had a really good reason to do X, Y, or Z. It's just like, well, Tommy can't sleep, and he would feel better if Jason was burned to a crisp. So let's just go with that. We don't need to, like, give any more backstory. Tommy Jarvis is just here. And another unique uh, aspect of this movie, too, that I always thought that this was the only Friday the 13th where kids actually got to camp. Yep. So that element right there was was very like, oh, my God, the kids are there. And Jason tormented one of the young girls, you know, like just showing up in front of his her bed at with a knife and all bloodied and just like scaring the crap out of her. So mister. <laughs> yeah. Like, please. Uh, so she, we'll, we'll circle again, circle back to that segment. Cause I think that's my, uh, my Sue award is that poor little girl <laughs> or actually all the kids for that matter. But anyway, I digress. Segment number two, the drop, the drop, which I guess when the lightning bolt hits, I mean, you're kind of like, Oh, here we go. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. So the drop could be very well be the beginning yep. when you got that first. Jason's back. He's brought to yeah. life. Like, what the fuck? We're we're screwed. <laughs> I will say, though, that the drop for me to some degree is like, let's say I'm watching this just as an avid horror fan. Right. I know the premise of, of Jason Voorhees. I've seen it a million times. I see what's happening. I think the drop for me is the camper scene because to me it's like, it's such a great scene. So he's got, um, we've got Court and Nikki, and they're they're boning it out to like White Snake or something in the back of this camper. And Alice Cooper, the most uh, ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I don't. Oh my god, the most ridiculous scene where she's just like '80s dancing on top of him. <laughs> yeah, like love making. Yeah, no nudity. Wanna... <laughs> so super, super PG yeah. thirteen in this, which is great. Um, I think a lot of the death scenes probably would have been more gruesome. Maybe they would have had more naked women i think there seemed like there might have been a compromise with some of the sensors in this because they had to like not show a lot and so i wonder if it's like well maybe if we cut out nudity we can get a little bit more leeway with some of the kill scene i don't know it's like it just seems like there was some compromise that happened here um but basically the scene is that they're they're doing it in the back of this camper jason cuts the cord and the all the power in the camper goes out, so they can't listen to their jams anymore, and they think something's going on here. And they go outside. They're they realize the plug's been cut. They don't couple, know if it's couple a, jump scare scenes. Yeah, they don't know if it's like a perfect what happened, but they start the the camper and they go. And what's hilarious is that Court is driving. He's like you know he's like the mullety AC Slater kind of guy in this movie, but he starts driving this camper and. Nikki goes like flying through the back because he's like, woo! And he's the whole time he's like driving it like he's driving a school bus. He's like, man, this is so awesome. This yeah. is so fun. And he's like having a great time with it. But they don't realize that Jason had come on board. And so Jason basically puts Nikki's face through the side of the camper. And you actually see the the strength of Jason at this point where her face is denting like the siding of this car. And then he comes up. He gets the head. He gets um, the knife through Court's head. Court now being dead, 
hits a big bump on this thing. The camper flies in the air and in a real action scene. So we've got rock and roll like blaring. And then we've got a, a basically a car similar to like a car chase scene um, that flips over and thing blows up fire all over it. And the drop for me is Jason standing on top of this looking so fucking badass. It's a great shot. And I think it's the last shot that they filmed for the whole movie and man, what a payoff because I think that scene alone, you're like, this is Jason in a very, very different way. Him just like swatting through and cutting people's heads off at, at the you know paintball retreat is one thing, but I think him doing this kind of badass shit <laughs> is like, you got the rebirth of Jason in a big way. For sure. And Nikki is played by Darcy DeMoss. And right away when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh my gosh. She was in Can't Buy Me Love with Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> of course. And she was in the dance scene when he was doing the African dance. Yep. <laughs> and everyone like tagged along. So that's definitely a secret shout out to my brother. There you go. I, I connected the dots to Can't Buy Me Love to uh, Friday the 13th Part 6. <laughs> We're going to have to put that one in the airplane graveyard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so we got the drop. What's next? Our favorite death scene. Oh, so... I alluded that to it's the officer getting bent backwards in half by oh, the sound effects. Yeah. Sound effects. Ah. And just shows Jason's power just snaps him backwards. Like that spine just gets, and you get the sound, you see the body just collapse and you're just like, and you're, you're watching it from like, like a landscape view. And you're just like, Oh, <laughs> that guy's gone. And it, cause he was trying to fight him too. Right? He thought he had a chance and then boom. <laughs> Let, let's be real. This, this sheriff otherwise was not bending over backwards to help anybody in this no. town. <laughs> Great point. Great point. So that, that's my favorite death scene for sure. I wrote that one down cause I thought it was excellent. Um, but I, since I already mentioned the court and Nikki, which I thought were both great kill scenes. Um, there's a lot, there's like something like 18 deaths in this one. Yeah, which there's is a pretty, he, he goes right. It's a pretty high it, kill count yeah. in this, which is awesome. But I think, um, I like, the sort of yuppie corporate folks that are at the they're like playing paintball yeah they, they're on a paintball retreat or something for work and um you see these two this like these two guys arguing and you definitely get a vibe that they work together but they also may be a couple um <laughs> they're having this conversation oh, you're you're hungry um I, I don't like you like this you know they, they you definitely see, think there's some relationship there but then this woman that works with them too Paintballs them, throws on the um, the dead. <laughs> I am dead flag or, or the uh, dead headbands. Headbands, which yep. is great foreshadowing. Um, but then Jason drops down from a tree, and in one swoop of the machete blade, takes off all three of their heads. Yeah, and so the pure efficiency of Jason slashing prices like no other. Um, I just think that that was such a great scene in a couple different ways, but certainly because how badass is to one swipe to cut off three heads? Like it's amazing. So I'm going to go with that one. Perfect. All right. Next segment. Ain't never going to be right. The kids at camp. All of them. I went with, yeah, true. I went with Megan. Megan's the daughter Sheriff of the Gara, Gara's okay. daughter. Yeah, she was she witnessing her father get snapped in half? She didn't witness her father get snapped in half, but she saw pretty, pretty much all her friends died. Her dad's dead now. She 
has she's a new dating relationship. Tommy Jarvis. <laughs> she's so dating Tommy fun. Jarvis, who she's like, this motherfucker is dumb, but I like him because he's cute. <laughs> so she ain't never gonna be right because she's gonna be dating Tommy Jarvis, who's always gonna have a chip on his shoulder. Unfortunately, the chip is too big to ever let go of Jason Voorhees. Yeah. Uh. All right. So you got Megan, and I got the kids. Uh. Well, that was dumb. Let's just try to highlight the number one here. All right. I mean, I, I know it's going to be hard, but we still got to get to the other yep. part eight. So trust me, you guys go rewatch this. You're going to have a list of 100. So we would be here all day. Let's just try to pick out one or two. If you if you feel like you got one or two or three. Yep. I, let's got, go. I, got. I have a few super short ones. Okay. So we can bust them out. So obviously we already, we already mentioned Tommy digging up Jason's body. Yes, 100%. Dumbest thing you could possibly do in the movie. So certainly not it's, a good thing. We might rename this category to Tommy Jarvis Award. So yep. yes. Um, I think, so Lisbeth and Darren, who are married, going to be counselors, they're driving their, you know, 77 Volkswagen bug to the camp and they see... Oh, who's Darren? Oh, so Darren is... Um, Darren's real name is uh, Tony Goldwyn, and he plays Carl from Ghost. I Carl's think such an asshole, too. I think He's this is the his worst first... character ever in, in movie history, probably. Yeah, right? this is his first film, I believe. Um, so he, yeah, he does a dumb thing in this one, but he also does some dumb things later on. <laughs> right. So I think we're just double whamming this guy for his role in Carl as well. Like, we're, yeah, we're coming after you tenfold because you're you're the complete asshole and ghost. But again, we get we get kind of meta in this because again, I think the foreshadowing for Scream is that the Elizabeth in the car says, I've seen enough horror movies to know that, you know, basically yeah. like a guy in a mask is not a good thing. Yeah, we need to run away. <laughs> They're and not I, friendly, you know? <laughs> um, but Darren decides to get out because he realizes the car is stuck between a rock and a hard place, literally, yeah. Jason being the hard place, and gets out to see if he can... He has a gun. He had a gun in the glove box. He's yeah, like, I'm going to use this little 38 pistol. I don't know. what That thing was, like, tiny. Yeah, that was And it didn't do anything. Do, didn't I think he anything. shot him a few times. He just kind of... Uh, they throwing BBs at him. So Darren being the tough guy, and then Elizabeth deciding to bribe Jason. She thought that giving her Amex, which is listed as a um, American Excess card, <laughs> oh, is that what it said on, <laughs> on the card itself? Because so American a- Express wouldn't even shell out some uh, some product placement money for this movie. Yeah, so I get a little of uh, American Psycho vibes in there, American Excess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically tries to pay Jason off with you know forty bucks or something, and her Amex card didn't didn't quite work. Um, so I. I think uh, definitely some dumb moves from Elizabeth and Darren. Yeah, I know they got to get to work, but uh, maybe get out and run and don't try to bargain with a murderer. Yep. Um, Court's driving. <laughs> Man, he's like whipping through the woods. Yeah, <laughs> like like, they're, they're counselors. I don't know what are these kids in their twenties or whatever. And she even mentioned like, "This is my father-in-law's camper." Like, don't yeah. mess it up. Don't mess and it, it up. he's just driving it all over the road and flips it eventually. But, uh, but Forest Green, you get the impression like super quiet town, peaceful, right? At least since nowadays, it, yeah. it's not Camp Blood anymore. Um, but Deputy Rick with a laser sight. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> like. And where did that even come from? I was like, that's what laser sights looked like in the 80s? You bang. 
It looks like this microphone. It's as big as this microphone that I'm looking at right now. (laughs) It's got this little red dot on it. 40 pounds on top of this gun. So yeah, Yeah, it was pretty excessive because he was only like two feet away too. So that's kind of dumb. Like, what do you need a laser pointer? You're gonna shoot. You're gonna blow off his head anyway. You're that close. Yeah. Uh, And the last one I have is. why did Tommy light the fire around his boat at the end? I don't know. He just like lights a ring of fire around his boat that he's trying to get Jason to come to. It almost seems like he's trying to keep Jason away, but Jason comes in. I, I'm very confused by that whole scene, so uh, to me it's dumb. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll pick out, I think the character's name is Missy. Is that is is that the one of the uh, actresses? She was like one of the counselors. She was wearing like... What looked like a wardrobe straight out of Glenn's closet from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the jersey. I think. Sissy. Sissy. Missy, whatever. Sissy. She had this like cut off jersey type AC Slater sweat sweatpants with suspenders underneath. Anyway, I'm just like, she stole that out of Glenn's closet after (laughs) he, what year is this? At the same time. <laughs> like, we're, like, we're two years later, right? Two years later. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to just rip uh, Glenn's outfit and I'm going to wear this. Anyway, so I digress. She She's out in front of this window pouring uh, what she thinks, you know, seltzer or soda on top of what is Jason hiding behind the window, which she thinks is court. And uh, I thought that was dumb. She she pretty much uh, pissed off Jason, and he was ready to kill her anyway. And and uh, she met her demise with what, like a crushed head, like decapitation of some sort. And uh, then Jason just throws her body, lifeless body, over his shoulder and starts walking around the campsite. And that's when the kids started noticing, hey, what what is that man carrying that body doing? Uh, and that's when all hell broke loose with the kids being frightened as all hell. So. I just think that was dumb. I don't think you want to piss off Jason like that because uh, you're inevitably going to meet your demise. It's Jason Voorhees, but don't piss him off like that. Don't don't dump seltzer on his head. Well, kind of funny. I'm just going to say it because I think the crowd, the listeners need to know is that um, I stepped away while Jay was saying that part of the story to go grab a beverage myself and accidentally hit the end of the can on the end of my fridge and it started spraying out like a Kill Bill scene and I couldn't get the top open. It was just spraying everywhere. And so I had to <laughs> finally get it in my cup and get in here before Jay was done talking. So spilling wow, the seltzer. Geez, I'm was, like narrating what he's doing across su- the room. Super karma just happened right now. And uh, boy, Perfect. Oh boy. Perfect segue. <laughs> All right, next section. Uh, what would you do? What would you do? Very easy. easy. This this was very well. Well, first it's probably you're gonna go with Tommy Jarvis, just not showing up don't, that day. Don't don't dig up Jason Voorhees. Right. So that's right off the rip. And and this is another one of those genres of like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. This is where this segment has really come from. The movies like this, Running in the Woods. Okay, first of all, Jason Voorhees does not run. He walks. He power walks. Like he he's never running after you. He so, used to run. He doesn't run anymore. He doesn't yeah. need to. He got struck by a bolt of lightning. He's yeah. Good. So he just he just steadily walks and and he, and he stalks you. And actually, that's a key point. We just mentioned that this is the first film that Jason walks. Yeah. So every other film. Including Roy Burns, Jason runs. He walks. He yeah, don't need, so, so in this, don't need to run. Anymore. So in this one, he's just walking around, and you can't outrun or out hide or out whatever. So many. This is this movie drove me nuts as a viewer. Not only on Friday, but 
in the past where I'm just like, how can you guys just fall into these death traps? Like hiding behind, you know, you ever see that Geico commercial when they hide behind like chainsaws? Yeah. And the guy's like, that's literally the comedy of like watching these films. That's kind of where this segment come from. So it's, it's splattered all over the movie uh, of uh, what would you do and just run faster, hide better, or get in your car and get the hell out of there. A lot of those things. I think if you've ever been coming Everyone's from, very delayed. It's got to be in the handbook, right? So if you become a counselor anywhere near where Camp Blood was, it should be in the handbook that if a psycho killer comes, this is the things you should do. Yes. They got to create a handbook at this place. Like a bomb shelter or something. Yep. Like go into it and never come out. Uh, next segment. Um, alternate ending. Uh, we'll skip this segment because they kept coming out with newer ones, so it doesn't really matter, right? I was going to say Tommy dies with Jason. Tommy sacrifices himself, and the only way that he can redeem himself for bringing Jason back to life is that he dies in the boat with Jason. Yeah, he kind of gets... Because he does get pulled underneath. He does lose consciousness. He gets saved. And then he gets saved by Megan and brought to shore, and then he get, and, he, and he lives. Which is just like a kind of like a Disney ending. All the kids are watching. You know, the fire's burning, and Jason's not coming up, and... They all could just breathe a sigh of relief, and there's the kids, there's Tommy, there's Megan, and some whoever policemen are still alive at that point. And you just, that's kind of how it closes out. And that's like, all right, that's kind of a Disney ending. Megan gets grabbed, but decides to use the propeller to, which I think is iconic because in part seven, he he has like a big portion of the mask missing. So like that's iconic about the part seven mask is that there's a big chunk that's gouged away from the propeller. So like... If you if you follow the movies, there's a different way that the mask sort of gets its you know like whether it's the axe head um, from yes. part four that carries on, yep. um, or again this in part six where the mask gets chopped up on the bottom like that moves on to seven and then same thing part eight kind of becomes a new mask but somehow still has the axe. I, again, we'll get into eight, but yeah. um, I don't know what that followed at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Last segment, soundtrack. You have a very key point here for this one, right? I do. <laughs> well, it's Alice Cooper. Yeah. Right? Is in this one. Like, to- we actually all, as a group, kind of giggled at the end and we were all kind of taken aback. We didn't, I- no one knew that I was Alice Cooper go- until you watched it. Because it end. sounds, it's not, it sounds like Alice Cooper, but it's super cheesy, like lyrically. Oh my God. He's yes. back. The man behind the mask. And so, like, this they actually made a music video starring predominantly Jason Voorhees. That I watched the music video after because awesome. I'm like, I got to see this. And the music video is awesome. It's great. And so like I thought it was a great, a great tie-in crossover, whatever you want to call it. But it was a great rock and roll soundtrack. It had three Alice Cooper songs on there, and they all tied in. They had Teenage Frankenstein that. Uh, courts blaring in the camper as they're driving about to get flipped over. Um, one really key piece to mention that we'll talk about in part eight as well is that this um, still the main score, um, Harry Manfredini did every movie except for part eight. Um, so that key, 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 ma, 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 um, all the foreboding Jason music all came from Harry Manfredini. I don't and, remember it a lot in six, though. Was that there? Yeah. Oh, it was. Yep. Um, but then we get a lot of 
accompaniment from these more classic, I guess now would be classic kind of 80s hair medley type songs. Yeah. So um, in general, I thought the soundtrack is great because I love his work in general. I thought I think it's very iconic when you play that kind of stuff. There's always something that really fits in with how Jason is as a character. It's like kind of um, a lot of ebbs and flows, some silence, some swells and things like that. But adding the rock and roll piece, I think, really tied it into what was popular in movies at that time. Sure which was car chases and action scenes and rock and roll music. And I thought it did a great job of it. So um, out of the whole franchise, I think this one has, I think this one might have the best music. Yeah. So, okay. So in your opinion at 86, you're in that bubble. Was it heavily publicized that Alice Cooper did the soundtrack? Like did people know that this, or or were they as shocked as we were at age 30? nine or 35 to be like <laughs> we're waiting for the credits and then we were all in awe holy shit that was alex cooper on that song on that song on that song yeah. on that. and we were just like wow now i just kind of had a different viewpoint of wow maybe this music was genius at the time of watching the film i'm like okay this is super cheesy over the top like then when it, the name once alex cooper got involved it's kind of like genius yeah. Right. I, so totally. I went from a, a four rating on this soundtrack to maybe a seven to be like, because it was still cheesy as all hell. I mean, yeah. it, I don't the think it holds still up. Cheesy. But. Well, what's funny is, uh, so uh, we'll give a quick shout out to Bill, one of the PCB boys. So he, as you're watching the scene with uh, Teenage Frankenstein playing, Bill's like, damn, I like this song. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, a, it, 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 they both both um that man behind the mask and teenage frankenstein they sound very montagey like what you'd expect from like you know kickboxer or um uh simply the best bloodline like, uh, sorry uh, <laughs> blood sport like yeah. something it, it just has that like montagey kind of feel yeah. to it do, 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 you know it just so cool i i think it does a good job i in general i'd i'd give the soundtrack an 8 um, maybe a nine. It's not a 10 for me because again, the songs are a little bit cheesy, but again, I like the original score. I like the music that Harry Manfredini comes up with for all these films. Yeah, he's a genius. So and that's fine. Yeah. Throwing in a little bit of rock and roll never hurt anybody. So yeah, I, I, I guess like I, I'd have to be transported, teleported to 1986 to be like, was everyone. And, and to your point, they made a, mid, a video. So in my mind, yes, this was actually a big element of the movie, but why that didn't transcend to 2000, 2021 when like oh by the way alex cooper did this like right. i would have been a little bit more oh let's listen let's let's keep listening whereas like i found that out after the fact where i already had a viewpoint of this is super cheesy right so that's kind of why i kind of don't go as high as you but much respect to alex cooper and i'm like i think he did make it better right i mean he, definitely in in a, in a grand scheme, his name made it better, right? So, uh, so there there's part six, which uh, right off the you know we'll we'll tell you right away we liked six over eight. Yep. So here here's the eight bashing. We'll we'll try to run a, yeah. through this a little bit quicker so that we don't have a two hour show. Um, but uh, let's just go right off into synopsis starting point because it's a little 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 different. But uh, start off with the starting point and then synopsis you can go. Yeah, so uh, done in 1989, um, this film was the lowest of the box office. Um, 
Bigger budget, right? Bigger budget. Um, the one, a couple of notes to mention, um, Kane Hodder actually reprised his role. It was the first time that anyone has done Jason. And Which is the only genius of this film. Yeah, more more than one movie. So he was in part seven as well. That was his first kickoff. And then part eight, definitely great. He, I think he, to me, is the most iconic Jason. Um, to some degree, obviously, we were just talking about C.J. Graham, who played in part six, but... Kane Hodder to me again, I think is like the scariest in terms of like how fucking big the dude is. <laughs> um, but we open up with, and again, I think it's like the bait and switch. It's kind of frustrating that it starts out. You see Jason takes Manhattan. You get shots of 1980s Times Square, some punk rocker kids hanging out on the stoop. Um, you get to see uh, people doing massive amounts of heroin in the alleyway. They, they basically make New York look like trash. Yes, and, which every movie in the 80s really tried to do. Well, except for Ninja Turtles, I think, other than the obvious issue they had with gang violence with the foot soldiers, <laughs> I think that they didn't look as trashy. I mean, they made it look good. They had good pizza, and it was kind of fun to live there. But they made this, this movie made New York look absolutely fucking terrible, which is maybe why they only filmed like five minutes of the whole movie yeah. in New York. But um, they show shots of that, and and then they take you to a small, like, I guess, yacht almost, right? Yep. Um, this tiny yacht that is um, Jimmy and Susie, these two randos on the boat. Um, again, we go right into nudity, which is great, right? Yeah. So we always can appreciate in horror when we see nudity, especially when we see nudity in the beginning of the movie because you know well, they're going to die. And let's let's be honest. Here, a bunch of guys watching a horror movie and Six had nothing in it. So uh, within the first three minutes, boom, there you go. It's not, a, it's not a huge element in the movie. <laughs> no, no. It was right in the beginning, and then there's probably another scene on the boat at some point. That was yeah, it. you get a couple. You get one other scene, I think. Yeah. Um, one other nudity scene. But again, for a franchise. All classy, that, though. I mean. Yeah, it was, it was a very artsy scene. Um, but yeah, Jamie and Susie are on this boat, and they're, they're, they're knocking boots, and Jimmy hears a noise, gets up to go investigate. Susie's still laying there with his big shirt on. And then Jimmy comes back in and scares her by wearing this Jason mask. And yep. again, we've got this new Jason mask that will be worn by, by eventually by Jason. But it's got the axe mark in the head, but it doesn't have the missing. Yeah, it's what you would cheap. buy at like Spirit Halloween store. Yeah, or it's, just, it's funny that it like kind of fits in with the rest of the theme of the movies, but doesn't at the same time. Um, but anyway, brand new. So he comes in with the mask, scares her. Hey, I got you. Ha ha. Um, while they're on this yo this yacht, they drop the anchor, and the anchor hits some electric lines that are underneath, buried underwater, and the anchor pulls on one of these and accidentally electrocutes Jason Voorhees, who's still at the bottom of the lake, crushed under a dock from part seven, and again, brings Jason back up, climbs aboard the yacht, he's got his new mask, and he takes immediate care of... Um, Susie and Jimmy. Yep. And then you see him take that same yacht or the yachts kind of like they're on their way to a, a, aboard this big cruise ship that's going to take them to New York City, this graduating class. And so you see the the yacht kind of like swimming by or, or floating by. And then Jason all of a sudden like goes to get aboard this cruise ship. Yep. So you don't know why, but he's Gonna get aboard this cruise ship, and you know. Yeah, shit's and later happen. in the movie, it's alluded to that Jason came downriver and ended up in 
you got to be near ocean oh not ocean sorry jersey city-ish area yeah the uh, not, none of this makes sense at all no like, it really doesn't so that's it, that's part of like this this movie's terrible if you can explain anything you like did way too much fucking research on wikipedia or something because yeah. none none of the movie explains where they are there's mountains in the background like are we in maine are we in and these mountains are i noticed it right away and i was like what the where in new jersey because that's literally your your sea level in new jersey where are these mountains? Like, what are we talking about? Like, like you, I, we, we all joked. They're in Alaska. They're filming in Alaska, but we found <laughs> out they actually filmed most of this in Vancouver. Vancouver, so close to Alaska. Terrible editing of the film. They'd be like, oh, can we cut out those mountains? <laughs> no, you can't. Because well, they're not in New Jersey, they're not in Connecticut. So I don't know where the hell you guys like, are. Uh, maybe you, because th- I. The other thing is they have to pay attention to is like how long it takes them to get. Because like. Jersey to New York is like what maybe an hour <laughs> like yeah. wh- why are they taking a giant cruise ship that's this large and as you see they're driving pretty much all night and then after the boat almost starts to sink and they get off on a small paddle boat they're paddling for like two days almost yeah, you know it seems like forever so what the fuck all right anyway yeah. without yeah. getting into the the pork continuity and um, yeah, we were ripping that apart as, as just viewers trust me we were as watchers we're like what the hell is going on so what the fuck is happening here? so we got opening segment synopsis got two kills under our belt now he's on a giant boat going to manhattan here we are so again more of the bait and switch the 90 re- percent of this film or 80 percent of this film is on this boat yeah the lazarus Lazarus. So here we are, a bunch of college kids, or I'm sorry, high school kids, graduates. They're all going to Manhattan to, I don't know what, party, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a sick cruise ship. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, they've got a sauna in there, which we see a death scene in. We've got this um, crazy Disco. bar, like dance hall yep. area they created. Um, yep. It's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. But nice elaborate rooms with views. So we follow Rennie. So Rennie is like the main character in this. We don't know much about her except that she has a dog that she takes everywhere, and the dog is definitely the smartest of the whole group. Yes, yes, which we'll talk about. Um, but Rennie is definitely suffering from some form of nightmare. She keeps seeing a childhood Jason Voorhees. Yeah. Well, she doesn't know it's Jason Voorhees, but she just keeps seeing this child that is drowning like all the time. She's yeah, like, help getting, me. Yeah, like, she's getting these visions all the time. And you don't really you'll you learn at the end of the movie why. But she's kind of the main character. Her boyfriend is on board, Sean. Sean's father is the captain of the boat and Sean also knows how to drive the boat and nah, I guess, not really we, 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 <laughs> the, the biology teacher who is is i guess in my thinking of the franklin award is he's the guy i really can't wait to die uncle charles yeah yeah the biology teacher he's awful so he he's like making fun of sean about like uh, in that scene where he's when the when he, the captain actually gets uh, killed, right? So now Sean's trying to figure out how to navigate the ship. He's like, "How do you not know how to navigate? Your dad's a captain of this boat." And he's like, "Yeah, that's my dad." Like, <laughs> I was like thinking in my head, I was like, "My dad knows insurance. I don't know how to write up a claim. Like, what the f- like? What does that have anything to do with anything?" <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm supposed to be able to do a, uh, you know, navigate a ship. <laughs> like, get out of here, yeah, we, Charles. We also, I think this movie, um, also 
Uh, it definitely, it, it 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 takes a, a a page out of another movie, which we might even be able to create another award with, which would be the Judy Award. So Judy, if you remember, was the mean girl from Sleepaway Camp. Um, we've got a mean girl in this one. We've got Tamara. Yeah. Who yes. knocks Rennie overboard, knowing Rennie can't swim? She is doing coke and trying to convince her friend to do coke. Um, she's just an. E- she tries to blackmail um, Uncle Charles um, by pretending to that she's going to bone him. So she's a pretty evil. Yeah, maniacal. So like, meets, so she, meets her demise naked in a shower. So so she's kind of a Franklin in a way that you is the person you want to die pretty hardcore because of how mean she is, but not the wet blanket. So. You might have to create a new award. Yeah, so if in that regard, so Tamara is the Judy Award and the biology teacher, Dr. Charles. Because he's definitely a wet blanket. He's 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 the Franklin. He's he's the one that doesn't believe anybody again. Yep. And you know, you always gotta have that stupid character like, oh, that's not what's happening on this boat. Um Yeah, no, hundred percent. So we got a couple awards knocked out right yeah, away. Yeah, a couple awards. Let's go to segment two. So the drop, I got the drop. Yeah, yeah, I mean the drop. I think is what we already talked about. The opening scene is uh, Jimmy and Susie because again, you brought Jason back to life. And if we know anything from part six and part seven is that if Jason's walking, you're in trouble. Yeah, I guess the drop for me is once you finally see, and whether it is on the boat, would you see him? Because Kane Hodder is now reprising the role. And you finally get to see Jason as this mammoth character. Yeah, you're just like, oh, th- this is different. Like we're 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 we've just segued into another genre of why Jason's going to be this death count king of just and who is it? Uh, While well, we were watching, um, was it Andy? Probably. Who, who kept talking about his teleportation in this? Yeah, and how it was just comical to a point i'm like yeah he became this like oddity in this and he's a super human strength mythical creature at this point like he's totally totally a different character arc if i'm the director and i've got kane hotter i'm like how does he how is he gonna outrun all these fucking track star like high school kids well He's not going to. We're going to make him teleport. Yeah. Perfect, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, and, and trust me, the scenes he goes from here to there, so quickly climbing ladders, like you don't you don't even see any of this physical activity. He just shows up. Like he's literally the guy that you like you turn around and there he is. Like when did that become is this this it was just I guess how horror movies were going. Right, probably eighty nine. Yeah, because again, if you try to watch Kane Hodder run, it probably looks like me when I have diarrhea or something. I'm trying to get in the house after a long drive. Like, there's, it's not going to look. Probably waddling, just like (laughs) yeah, exactly, like Frankenstein or something. So, so I thought it was it was clever to have him teleport in a way. Again, he's supernatural at this point. Like he is supernatural, and he's superhuman. He's huge, and when he grips, you know, when you start see his forearms, it's like the size of my tree trunk. The size of my calves. Like it's it's unbelievable. So, uh, so yeah, that's a drop. Me, to me, it's just seeing him in his, like, holy shit, this is Jason now. Like, to- we're, we're, we're in a different world. Yeah. For the good. And that's why we, we hit it right off the top. This Kane Hodder's reprise of Jason Voorhees is what is the pinnacle of this part eight. That's it. Completely that's that's the best thing that came out of this thing. Yeah. Uh, so, what? Well, death scene. Favorite death scene? Oh man, uh, it's got to be Julius. 
Yeah, it's a great scene. Because I, I love Julius's character all the way through, even back in the 90s when I first saw this movie. Um, as a kid, I just, I was, I love Julius. He was my favorite. He's got to be one of my favorite horror movie characters of all time, just because he was so overconfident in who he was, like this cocky athlete, boxer, whatever. Yeah. And he just says, go ahead, motherfucker, take, take your, your best, best shot. shot and just, you know, Jason takes one jab <laughs> like not even not even like a full swing just knocks his head clean off and it flies into, into like a, a trash yeah yep. trash can it was just like comedy on top of comedy and just like uh poor julius you know your 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 arrogance got the best of you there yeah Ju- julius takes a full 60 seconds of like uh, i don't know he's like trying to Tyson him or something. Yeah, no, I was like, go, go, go. I was like rooting for him. I was like, is this really going to happen? Is he going to get away? Uh, Yeah. Sorry. I kind of wish that every time he hit a body shot, though, like maggots would fly out of his eye holes or something. Yeah, they could have done more, uh, you know, a little bit more like Rocky. (laughs) I would have appreciated some of that. Um, But yeah, a great scene on top. Again, because we we believe we're in New York at this point. So seeing them on top of the building doing that is pretty awesome. Yeah. You, You concur or you got another one? Um, I go with JJ because to me, um, I love that they took again an element of rock and roll. So we've got this guitar player who's got this beautiful Gibson Flying V, and she's trying to tear it up. She's getting filmed on you know on top of the the cruise ship uh, playing guitar, which and is then, completely unnecessary. Yeah, and then she decides she's, she's an unnecessary <laughs> character for this whole yeah, film. <laughs> she decides to go down to like, you know, the boiler room. Cause it, she thinks it's going to have great concert hall echo. And sure enough, Jason sees her down here and he's like, shut the fuck up. You know, you got this look on his face of like, stop with your terrible guitar playing and, uh, decides to take the guitar. And in one swat, um, woo, JJ done with so yes. uh, I just love the the fact that they use again resourceful Jason Voorhees I'm looking at all your v. axes over here how many you got I got one two three four five six I'm looking at I got some guitars yeah yeah. so you got like <laughs> six guitars I'm looking at so yeah why wouldn't you like the guitar death scene I, I mean I that's it. only fitting yep 100% so alright well that was dumb um Everything, everything, yeah. The writing, the the acting. <laughs> I'm gonna like, say every every scene with Child Jason is dumb. Dumb, yeah. I don't get. He it. looks different in every scene. He looks weird in every scene. None of them makes sense. It's terrible. I'm and then going that's with how it. he dies too in the end, right? Yep. I just I I don't understand where that was going. Again, all you listeners, go ahead and search the internet for it. I watched it, and that's just my opinion. I don't get it, and I don't need to go research this crap. Yeah. Not not even for this show right now because it was that bad. Like, no thanks. No. Um, anything else? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's. A t- you already said pretty much the movie, but yeah, Wayne and Tamara trying to blackmail the teacher with that video like wasn't going to help them at all. Um, bad news. Um, when Wayne lands on the circuit board and it like blows up like crazy. Yeah. Like I don't know if that's how that works, but um, not not too good. Um, and then the fact that the technician down in the sewer tells them that every night in New York City at midnight they they flood toxic waste into the sewer system. It's like what the fuck? You're getting too dark for me again. Like New York, what is going on? Yeah, in New York, like it was New York. That's probably if you really read the notes, New York was probably like super upset with this film coming to Manhattan. <laughs> 
and they bashed the hell out of it. Like no New York like city was probably like, I don't want anything to do with this film because you're bashing us left and right about heroin and drugs yeah, and the punk <laughs> and gang <laughs> violence. The only way they could have pissed them off more is if the tagline was Crystal Lake to Crystal Meth. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the only way I think they would have pissed him off even more. Yeah, because like you see Times Square, Jason's in Times Square, and- which is like I'll say it is the best scene of the entire movie. We finally get the payoff in the last like I don't know ten minutes of this hundred minute yeah. film. Yeah, is the longest. Jason this is, is the in- longest uh, Friday the Thirteenth of all of them. It, it basically covers two of them, but he's he's standing in the middle of Times Square. And it's fucking awesome. Like that contrast of like seeing him in the big city and like what he's going to be capable of is great. If they did more of him in the streets of New York, like I, I remembered the film having a lot more of New York and it doesn't, which yeah. is disappointing. But I love that one scene to me makes up for a lot of the movie. Like, cause I just love him there. So yeah, right, right there. So that was dumb is just like saying that you're in Manhattan when you're not, that's dumb. Giving me, get me on a boat from Jersey city to Staten Island to, I, I again, how, what port, are you sorry i don't think you guys understand the uh complexities of new york city because what port are you docking into and times square is nearby (laughs) you're not like times square is in the middle of the island so again it's just like that was fucking canadians you know (laughs) because you're literally probably docking because again they're they're coming by um uh, the Statue of Liberty. So already you're pretty much on the Brooklyn side, South Staten Island ish. So you're coming into the East Village, and you're going from the East Village all the way to Times Square. I they do get on a subway at some point, right? Right. So, but do you know how long that subway takes to go <laughs> from East? Trust me, guys. Let's not do too much research. And uh, if anyone wants to fact check me on that, uh, yeah, there's no port near uh, Times Square either <laughs> so that that's kind of dumb but uh we'll leave that segment there go if you guys want to we we definitely recommend to go see it because it is it is super cheesy uh but you get to see kane hotter so that's that's the recommendation from us so you'll see a lot of other dumb shit that happens throughout this whole movie so yeah and then um i guess uh what would you do um uh, i said it right with all the guys i'd follow the dog yeah Follow the dog. The Follow dog, the dog. dog. Dog was safe the whole time, and he ran away every time. Again, what would you do? Follow the dog. Just wherever you're going, you you know what's going on. You know you know death's coming, or you know bad things are happening. Just he has a spidey sense or the dog sense or whatever. Follow the dog. What would I do? I would film more of the movie in New York and <laughs> not on the fucking Lazarus. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, not not much more can be done. <laughs> That's mainly hand, it. hand in your biology homework on time. Yep, that's uh, probably you know make sure you're uh, on good good you know good cahoots with the biology teacher as well. I guess because yep. <laughs> that guy's an asshole and a dick. Yeah. Uh, alternate ending. Uh, skip. <laughs> I mean, it ended so bad. I don't know. Like anything would have been better than the ending. Yeah. So what happens? <laughs> they're in the sewer. Toxic waste runs over Jason and he turns into his little boy self. I don't understand what the hell happened here. Like, I don't get what, what happened. I don't understand. Like no he gets melted away to like this boy. And then what does he just dissolve? Like he's gone. Like how do you tell me, how did nine come about? Like, I don't understand. 
I, I feel like in nine he just appears. I don't know that they do any sort of because re- like so eight never happened again. Well, no nine. It's definitely Kane Hodder, and he's all fucked up. His head's like completely like it looks like he went through toxic waste. So like they kind of kept some continuity there, but I don't know that he they revive her. I think he just like it starts out and um, there's a woman who is a, a, apparently a cop and she's taking a shower in this like cabin and she lures Jason in somehow and in like the first five minutes Jason gets blown up by an army so you just see him there he just shows up but he's like wearing the same kind of jumpsuit and um, he's got the melted head and the mask that's like mostly dissolved so it's yeah. like it kind of looks like Eight happens in nine, but at the same time, you don't know like how he made how it back get out. Back to the lake, yeah, because they they went back to like the lake, right, or back to the country or the woods. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of problems here. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, you're right. Alternate ending. Uh, we don't even know where to begin, other than um, yeah, maybe because they're in the sewers for so long, and we were all joking about it. Like, where the hell were the Ninja Turtles when you needed them? Was, yep. That, that my alternate ending. You know, Leonardo like comes out and be like, "Hey, what are you doing in my sewer?" And just like <laughs> chops up uh, Jason Voorhees. That'd be fun. Yep. And then it spawns pretty much Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1989 version. It just goes from one movie to the next. Jason versus Shredder. <laughs> Yeah, so it just it literally just segues into a whole like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie right there. There's my alternate ending for all you '80s kids. Yeah, um, and then soundtrack. So this was the again. This was the only movie that I'm aware of that didn't have Harry Manfredini. Do so a zero. Score. Let's just go to zero. Right uh, off the rip. Well, Fre- Fred Mullen is the one who, I guess, did the soundtrack. And so there's a lot of um, score in the movie, but also there's some like rock Punk and roll rock. songs. He wrote them. So he's actually oh. a good, I guess he was a record producer before. And so um, he definitely has like a wide range of stuff that he can do. The the I guess the song that kind of stands out is the, the opener where they're doing the scenes through New York City, which is um, the darkest side of the night. Um by the, I guess performed by the band Metropolis, but it says it's written by by Fred Mullen and um, Stan Meisner, who also I guess wrote some other stuff as part of the the entire score. But um, it it's not as good as the Alice Cooper soundtrack from Part Six by any means. No, it's forgettable. Yeah. And we don't have the key, key. Yeah, it's like I don't think. Like you follow the music in part six, but I feel like in eight, I was like, wait, I don't even remember any of the music in eight. Right. I to go back I, and that's why to I'm kind of looking at you here. Like I, 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 that's why I said zero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, going to, I'm going to give it a five. Um, just because I think that's it's generous. Cause it's your, it's, it's your, still your movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm going with a five just because it, it had, had enough to it. And I thought it had a good range. Um, again, it didn't, it wasn't as good as any of the other films, but um, I also don't think it was a terrible nothing soundtrack at the same time. Again, so we talked about it. it had a five million dollar budget, grossed about fifteen, maybe fourteen. Yeah, a little less, thirteen, fourteen around there. So not as obviously. Part six was three, grossed eighteen. So that that that's a six times on your investment. Where this one is kind of like three. So it's like shit. We kind of that sucks. And I think. The people who spent the, the the thirteen million they made, the people were so unhappy that it took them what four years to to make a part nine because right, which is still not a good segue to where you where they needed to go. 
Yeah, so I think in general, I've always had fond memories of Jason Takes Manhattan because I remember my family grew up in the Bronx and so they very much like lived and breathed and talked about New York all the time. So seeing this iconic, you know, uh, serial killer maniac, you know, horror villain in New York was awesome. But rewatching it again, you're like, okay, this doesn't really take place in New York and that kind of sucks that I'm remembering more of the movie being in New York than actually was. And so that was disappointing. And I've rewatched it a bunch of times, but it's just like, this is the one where I came back and I'm like, Oh yeah, New York. I can't wait to watch this. And you're like, Oh, fuck. And I think a lot of people thought, had your sentiment. They tricked me. <laughs> and you would think that, you know, with the music score being where it was for you and, and the soundtrack, 1989, New York city. I mean, you should have had just a, ton of talent that would love to have been a part of this film as just this like no name band in New York that's probably not no name anymore like I couldn't even name one an 80s band from like that was doing punk rock and like I know you can hit one and just be like yeah why didn't they just jump on board with this or give me some buskers give me like some street you know like even in Rocky like they walk by the first Rocky movie and they walk by and there's those dudes all sing acapella on the end of the street like give me something like a, with a little bit more musical flair to it than what they had I don't know it's just kind of disappointing but yeah New York City like the mecca of, well a mecca not the mecca a mecca of music and it, it kind of it was a very low bar so. Jason goes to CBGB's I mean give us something right yes. like yeah, so definitely it was it was good to do both the films on Friday the 13th. It was great to see the hockey mask. Um, you know, anytime there's a Friday the 13th, I think it's so iconic. So I think all in all, it was great to be able to watch both movies in a group setting. Um, definitely the favorite was part six out of everyone that was there. Yeah. Um, eight was definitely a disappointment overall. Um, I, don't I think, think it, we knew that going in. It was going to be super campy and... Didn't kill the franchise. It's still nice to see Jason. Kane Hodder can do no wrong in my book. Yeah, he was he was the highlight of that. You know, his teleportation. I know we joked his teleportation, the way he became this like mythical creature. Uh, I think it all played well, and that's kind of where the next few films went. And yep. it just re you know repurposed or regenerated him as a horror icon. So and he was the most kill killingest of. The Jasons, because we had 20 kills in this one. Wow. Even though it was 100 minutes, we still had 20 kills. Yeah. So, and yeah, it, 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 you know, probably w- every five minutes, every 10 minutes, there was a kill. Every five minutes is, is the way it breaks down, but it's not as efficient as the killings from part six, where there were at least two scenes where with one swoop, Jason killed three people and then two people. At yeah. the same time, so like he had five kills that were knocked out in two swings. So this was like a lot more individual kills. Even though I think two of them technically that were added in that were like death scenes were kind of more accidental deaths. They weren't really because yeah. So when Wayne accidentally shoots one of the deckhands, <laughs> like yeah. kind of counts as a death. Jason didn't actually kill him, so I guess we'll give that one away. And then also um, there was a car crash. The mom. D- burned a lot yeah yeah so so we had two that weren't really weren't really jason kills um but 20 deaths that we saw in the film and like way more that we didn't because all the other kids that were on the boat drowned yeah (laughs) right 
There was a lot more for sure. But the other thing that I, I thought was kind of unique about this film because of being in Manhattan and how crummy Manhattan and how they depicted Manhattan. Here you are, Jason Voorhees, looking the way that he does in this movie, walking around Times Square. No one, no one bats an eye. There's New York for you. <laughs> That's New York in one sentence. So yeah, Jason Voorhees just walked the streets and nobody does nobody's looking at each other. My my brother always mentioned that he he lived in New York City for a while, like the East Coast vibe in New York. Nobody talked to each other. Nobody said hi. No everyone was on their own agendas. And this movie really depicts that. Where you go out to the West Coast, people are, hey, how are you? You know, like totally different vibe. You know, like people just walk in the streets. Uh, more engaging, more more personable. Where in New York, they're just like, yeah, laser focused. Or they're going to be super direct and say, "Go fuck off," you know. Yeah. Like, so there's no, there's no, no happy medium there. But uh, anyway, yeah, just more of that element of yeah. Jason was walking around Times Square. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody cared. Traffic still went. Cops were all over the place. I mean, it's Times Square for God's sakes. Like, how, how do you not see this guy like falling apart, looking the way that he does, ooze everywhere, just like, ugh. and he's and nobody says anything. Yeah. Well, in general, again, great watch. Yeah. Um, glad we were able to get together and, and do great this event. Very Definitely happy. do it again. Mark the calendar for every Friday the Thirteenth that's yeah. coming up. I'll be there, <laughs> and uh, we'll keep going. So we'll definitely come back and, and end up doing more of the Friday the Thirteenth films. So apologize if anyone's like, "Why the fuck are you starting with Part six? Um, we're gonna come back um, again. I think we we kind of explained why we we went the way we did, um, but plenty of movies for us to still do. Yeah. And uh, we haven't figured out um, our next week's selection yet. We're going to talk about that right after the pod sure. here. But we will see you all back um, next week. And then I think we're going to be going to potentially a bi-weekly cadence after that. Mm-hmm. Um, just so we can make sure that we get enough content. And we, because trust, trust me, there's plenty of horror movies out there. But we're also uh, a couple busy fellas. Yeah. And uh, football season's coming up. So we definitely want to make sure we can yes. we can watch a little bit of that. So we'll be going to a bi-weekly cadence. But potentially still doing weekly episodes. We'll just be filming every yeah a recording every every couple yeah, of weeks we'll so. always have an episode to drop for the week but uh we're probably going to be doubling up on that on that day that we see each other so yep so uh thanks to all the listeners um again you can follow at real thrills podcast on instagram and you can find the podcast on pretty much every listening platform that you might be comfortable with so we've got google spotify and apple apple you can catch all right pod- all you apple iphone people you can now find us we're gonna link it into you should link it into also on our um instagram page like right in the profile We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. add that this week and just we can link right there. So if you want to just go into that section, hit if you got an Apple phone or a Google or whatever, we'll have it all linked in there. Yeah, so. make sure to follow so you get updates of new episode requests um, or sorry, new episodes that we're going to be doing. You'll get notified. Um, but again, follow the gram. We try to keep you updated on there. Yeah, it's the only platform we got, guys. So we're trying to keep it really simple for everyone. Instagram, just find us there or wherever podcasts are heard. I mean, you can find us. Real Thrills Podcast with Jay and Eric. You'll find us. And we got the 3D sunglasses. I think we're going to get a new, possibly yep. a new um, like uh, image there. But uh, for now, I, I, I love it. It's a cassette tape with uh, 3D glasses. That's us. Click on it. Subscribe. If you're on Apple, rate, review, feedback, please. Yep. And uh, we appreciate it. So yeah, we'll catch out. you later. Peace out.